Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. I'm super excited about today's episode. I have Sabrina Zohar on today, and what I did was um, I went to her podcast and went to the very first episode. And I don't know if you like doing this, but um, if you go to the very first one, especially if it's deep, then you can see the character arc, right? And I love that your first podcast episode, uh, I can relate to it because I also swing toward anxious. We're, talk- we're talking about attachment styles. Um, her first episode was all about anxiety, uh, having an anxious attachment style. And I love the fact that it was very unpolished. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean that in a way where <clears throat> it's, it's it felt like it was just passion-driven. Um, I don't know what uh, equipment you were using. Maybe you were in the closet. Maybe you were just talking to your phone, but there was a rawness to it that I was like, <clears throat> oh, this is amazing. And then, you know, of course, with tech and as you do this, it gets better and better. But I always find that the gems um, are in the beginning. And so I have her on today, my podcast, and we're going to talk about, I would like to start with anxious attachment style. I want to go for full circle and uh, start this podcast where you started and also why you created this and uh, where you're at today and uh, how you've done the work. Sweet. Awesome. Yes. Well, thank you for having me, John. I've been a fan of yours. I've read your books, mm-hmm. been watching your journey. And so it's really incredible to be sitting across from you, especially because I think for someone like me, yeah, as <clears throat> as you kind of mentioned, anxious attachment style was like my, where I started everything. So I got the cliche, like narcissistic father, mm-hmm. pleasing mother, grew up with that dynamic. I have both immigrant parents. So it was a very different household than like the average human being in, in South Florida. And for me, I learned a lot of terrible behavior. I learned a lot of how to not have boundaries, how to be quiet, how to people please, mm. how to put your needs aside, how to watch somebody blatantly disrespect us and cheat and do the whole rigmarole that could possibly happen. And so, of course, when I turned to dating, when I moved to New York and was there for 12 years, I was, if you look up anxious attachment style in the dictionary, there's probably a photo of me. And that's <laughs> right. Where, yeah, the first episode of the podcast was me buying a mic on Amazon and being like, fuck it, let's try and let me just speak about my yes, experiences. Yes, I love that. Because I'm not ever trying to like prophetize. It's really just, I think, making people understand that like, I don't want to say this in a rude way, but like you're not a snowflake. You know, anxious mm-hmm. attachment style, when we really start to break it down and understand, you start to see how many similarities. It's really the same patterns of behavior. Yeah. And for me, it manifested in using my body to connect to people, mm-hmm. not understanding what was manifesting within me. And so like I was so highly anxious that I would sit with my phone on so that I could see if a text would come through. I'd have certain message notes like right. so that even if I was at work, if I heard it, I knew because that validation from the other person <clears throat> was what made me feel like I was fulfilled and full and was able to kind of move forward in my life. Now, after having done the work and really like, and what that looked like for me was marrying my father, being mm-hmm. like somebody who is an exact replica of him, mm-hmm. hitting on bottom, finding pretty much finding myself at the depths of hell and saying like, okay, it's time to kind of bounce back and spending years doing that. But it included like therapy, CBT, DBT, ketamine treatments, inner child work, journaling, meditating, like exercise, you name it, I've tried it. And then now more specifically working in the nervous system and understanding mm. kind of how that all manifests. Wait, wait, what was when you say rock bottom? So I have this term, uh, I call it the bathroom stall moment. Uh, many people call it the bathroom floor moment. I think in Eat, Love, Pray, Eat, Pray, Love, uh, she opens with her in the, 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 I don't know where she opens, but it's basically her on the bathroom floor. That was the rock bottom. She's getting divorced and then, you know, Bali and all that. For me, I was literally in a bathroom stall um, working in a shady treatment center um, on my way to becoming a therapist. You know, the wrinkle-free pants and the, the shirt tucked in. It was the kind of place where you had to uh, sign, sign out to go to the restroom. And I remember uh, hiding out in the bathroom, uh, and I would just hide there until they called me. And this one time I was just bawling, and I said, I'm never going to be here again. And I hated my life, and I was a miserable fuck. Um, for you... What was your bathroom stall moment? What was the inciting, uh, the inciting incident that kind of started your whole journey with this? Oh, it's so funny. As you <clears throat> talked about it, because I actually, I love that you even have that term because I never thought about what that moment was until you said it. And I'm like, mm. I remember it. My ex, we were married and we were living together and he, his family uninvited me. 
for the holidays because oh. of and they were his mother was involved in our relationship. It was incredibly oh, okay. A lot of codependency and enmeshment. Uh, yeah, she were truly a, like the epitome <clears throat> of a narcissist. Like I didn't experience it until I experienced it. Mm. Now when people say that, I'm like, you have no idea. Yeah, but it was. He said, you know, I'm, I'm gone. It was his punishment to me. Like, I'm leaving you. And it was, I remember we were, we went to lunch that day. He was going to leave with a friend and he, the, we didn't tell anyone we broke up. And the friend was saying, you guys are a couple goals. And oh my God, my mm. girlfriend and I, and they got married now. And they, we hope to be like you. And I remember going home and he left and sitting pretty much bathroom or the living room and losing my shit mm. just complete abandonment as if my dad had just walked out right right and calling my mom and she got on a flight immediately and i was like i'm not going to make it past this if i don't have somebody here and it was two weeks of him being gone we didn't speak i think he only wished me like a happy new year once and this wow. is supposed to be the part by partner and you guys were married married and yeah together yeah and it was in that that time that was the first day i started therapy was that oh. the day he left i scheduled it after had two sessions a week but that was my rock bottom of oh my God, I'm being left by this person that I love so much. And I just didn't think I was ever going to make it up. And like, I look back at even some of my journals from that time. Yeah. I don't know if you have any of yours just being like, holy shit, can I believe where, where my thought process was then? That's my moment. Yeah, that was the uh, the rock bottom. And then, you know, the bounce now back up after that. Exactly. What did you realize in that moment? Uh, of course, you started going to therapy and having a lot of revelations. Uh, what did you realize about yourself relationships and love did you feel like holy shit um him leaving should i shouldn't feel this way with him leaving what what was the scoreboard like how did you assess like okay there's something wrong this isn't normal honestly I'm so grateful for my mom because she was the catalyst of, because my mom went through it with my dad and she, throughout the whole entire relationship, she kept seeing things and being like, I don't like this. this is, mm -hmm. you know, she's like, you're a grown-ass woman. Like, you're 28. You do whatever you want. And I think it was when he left and seeing how indifferent he was, seeing how cold he was and realizing, just having those moments, it took me about three weeks to realize even that there was an issue. I still was blaming myself, thinking mm. I fucked everything up. I am the worst person. Like, even in therapy, we were doing tapping. Yeah. I remember just going, I'm such a piece of shit. My therapist doing it. She's like, you're a piece of shit. And going, I don't think I'm that bad, though. And that was those moments when I was hit, like, really beating myself up. Going, yeah. But wait, do I deserve to be speaking to myself like this? And then when he got back, I had this just kind of like, we tried to live together for a month. And it was... It was really, I think that there was like one moment, and I'll never forget, my clothing company software was in Bloomingdale's, and it was mm -hmm. the launch party, wow. and it was a huge moment for me, and I had, my, my mom gave me my special Chanel bag I had waited for 15 years for, <laughs> and it was like, this is my night, right. and he was nowhere to be seen. He was outside with clients, and I'll never forget when I came out, it hit me in that moment, mm. oh my God, what am I doing? And I was like, I, kept, I told him to leave the next day, and we never spoke again. Wow. And it was the best decision I ever made because that moment of realizing this is not the support I want, this is not what I deserve, was the first time I actually put myself first and stopped self-abandoning and realized that little me needed me, not any of these other people. And yeah. that was that deep dive because I kept meditating seeing us as kids and not understanding like, oh, we were connecting as two children. We weren't connecting as two adults. We were just like trauma bonded, essentially. Mm. Like, we had the same childhood. Yeah. So that's, um, wait one second. <clears throat> I don't know why my, there's something in my throat. Oh, thank God we have a editor. <clears throat> I was like, oh God, if me, I'm like, I have to find the time on this. <clears throat> God, sorry. Um, you said something that I think is really important. Uh, trauma bonding, a uh, big topic these days, but you said something that, because uh, I'm a visual person, you said um, the inner kid stuff. So describe that when we're, engaging in a relationship you're saying the uh our inner kids are activating each other or describe what you're, what you're talking about yeah so i i never understood i didn't know what an inner child was mm -hmm. i didn't know any of this stuff this was all so new to me i didn't know even i didn't even know we had a nervous system that's how far yeah. off from all of this that i was and so well, you're from New York, and everyone on, in New York is, is yelling and screaming, and, and that's that's the norm. <laughs> the baseline is disregulation. Right, exactly. Otherwise, what are you doing? It's yeah. Like you, you, the minute you wake up, you're like, yay, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in danger. Yay, love this for us. So I lived 12 years like that. And I think it was 
when we were together, I would get so triggered by him and I never understood why I would react. I would literally react like my dad. I would scream, I would mm. yell, I protest behavior. I'm done with you. Fuck yeah. this. I can't do this. And then you're crying and you're on the floor and then you have this big makeup and then yeah. he takes no accountability and then it's me and then I'm apologizing because he was rude to me, but now I'm apologizing to him. And this was the cyclical the thing. The cycle, yeah. Oh God, it kept happening and kept happening and kept happening. Wait, wait, real quick. How how is that tracing a pattern of your childhood? That was my dad. Oh, interesting. My dad was right. He's it, the best way I can put it is he's an explosive bomb that you never know when is going to go off. Mm, so my dad yeah, yeah. bombed the entire marriage. Yeah, super narcissistic, incredibly insecure. Like I love my dad as a human being, but he has a lot of fucking issues. Right. And so all all I grew up watching was my dad leaving, my mom crying. Everybody just always being gone. Yeah. Always like in the middle of a fight, my dad just leaving or hitting us and walking out. And so abandonment constantly. Yeah. And so this relationship dynamic was very comfortable to me because I knew how to be in this. I knew it smelled familiar. Oh my God. It was, this was welcome to like a a buffet of everything (laughs) I had experienced. And so once, once we started, I started to just even get into meditation. I just wanted to explore that Mm -hmm. practice. And a friend of mine had got me into it. He was a meditation teacher. And every time I'd meditate, I would always see the two of us as kids. And I couldn't understand. And I would see his mom calling him and saying, come back to me, come back to me. And him just saying, I just want to be with her. And I would go to my mom every time I'd meditate. I'd be like, oh my God, but we were two children. Without understanding that we were bonding based on a shared trauma that we experienced. Because his dad was very much like mine. And so we found that connectivity. And then he kind of picked up on a lot of those traits. And I found that comfortable. And I had no boundaries. And Mm. the anxious attacher in me was doing everything I could to make it work. And once I realized that inner child and me who didn't care about any of these other people she wanted the validation from them because i wasn't there for myself i wasn't choosing myself i wasn't being there for me and that's when i started to realize like when i started to listen to her Mm -hmm. and really do the inner child work which i think for a lot of people they'll look i'm sure look at you too like are you fucking kidding me you want me to talk to myself like this and it's like yes i do I actually do want yeah. you to turn and I would have to look at her and say, like, what do you need from me? How can I support you? And I'll never forget the first time I ever did this. She was hiding in the attic I used to hide in when I was a kid, when all my parents would have their like their shit in the house. And I went to her and she just looked at me and said, you fucking left me. And I was like, that's mm. when it, this whole moment happened. And I was like, I've been leaving you this whole time. I've been abandoning you. I've been putting you down. I've been completely sacrificing what I want and need to make other people happy. The entire game changed after that day. Wow, that's amazing. You know, um, and and thank you for sharing that. I think so many people can relate to that. Um, it's almost like when we experience a lot of trauma, um, we're stunted. They, they say with addicts, when you're when you're using um, your emotional intelligence is kind of stunted, um, you know, because you're using. And I, and I feel like with trauma that. Um, we grow up physically and we look like adults, but emotionally and what we gravitate toward and how we show up in relationships um, is the child. 100%. And so because although we look like, you know, 30 year olds or we look, you know, yeah, we were paying taxes and we've got fancy apartments and stuff. Um, there's two 12 year olds reacting to each other, hurting each other, throwing chairs. Um, and it's because of this childhood trauma that hasn't been addressed and it's also our relationship with ourselves never putting work into that instead just loving other people right and so when you said you left me that's you talking to you right so then the work being addressing and listening to that voice right and not just over the weekend. We're talking about as a lifestyle. I mean, even today, I'm sure you snap back as I do, right? Hey, wanted to share with you something I'm super excited about. If you go to theangrytherapist.com forward slash premium, you not only get commercial-free episodes, but also something I'm introducing called series, rotating wellness topics, but not only lessons, but what do we do with this information? How do we thread this into our life so we could change our life? Go to theangrytherapist.com forward slash premium. Hundred percent. I'm in the healthiest, most secure, incredible relationship. Yeah. I, I love my partner more than I ever thought I could had the capacity. And I know that you had mm. similar experiences of going through different relationships. Yeah. And now finding someone that you're like, oh my god. So this is how it's supposed to feel. Cool. I didn't think I was ever going to. 
I get triggered all the fucking time. Of course, oh right. Oh my God. Right. There are so many times where I'm like, I can feel that mm-hmm. little me coming up and I have to stop and be like, okay, wait a minute. What's happening in my body? What's going on? Do I remember this feeling ever? And I'm like, yes, you remember feeling like this with dad. So then I'll get my shit together and be like, hey, babe, can I express to you kind of what's coming up for me? We'll talk about it instead of me, fuck you. I can't believe you. Did. No, right, no, no. right. So enter, enter reparenting, right? Enter the response instead of the reaction. And I think that is when you actually start to grow up. And I think that's actually when you, um, it, 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 it's when you, it, when you finally allow the inner child, as you say, to have a voice, to be heard, but then also the packaging and wisdom of the adult kicking in and reparenting yourself. Uh, that's how you show up in a healthy way. So putting a speed bump from the reaction so you're actually metacognitive thinking about what you're feeling. And it happens very fast, right? So sometimes we don't catch it. But just kind of being aware, where does it come from? Okay, take a breath. Now respond instead of get the fuck out of my life. <laughs> I actually love that you said the speed bump. That's a really good way of, of like visualizing it. It's true. It's like putting a little space between the yeah. response and the reaction. Because it's like, okay, for instance, I'll give you an example. I work with a lot of highly anxious single people. Mm. And I get it. I was there. I, that's why I'm like, I know every fucking thought process you have because I was her. Right. And the number one thing I'll hear is like, well, I didn't get my text message. And it's like, okay. <laughs> so to the layman's, you know, just, just to anybody, it's like, yeah, fuck that guy. You He didn't text you. And then it's like, when we actually start to peel the layers back, I'll be like, okay, what's so, okay, so he didn't hear from him for one day. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm here. I'm listening to you. I'm hearing you. What's such, what's such a big deal about that? Well, and then we start to peel it back. It's, well, I, but I'm scared. He's not going to think of me. It's like, okay, keep going. Keep going. What do we always end up after? I'm scared I'm going to be abandoned. I'm scared I'm going to be left. And it's mm-hmm. like, so that text message has nothing to do. You know this person for three hours. Like, you don't actually know him. You've attached to the idea of this person, and you've attached to the outcome of him. But what we when we start to peel back the layers, it always, like for the most part, leads us back to those earlier times. Even mm-hmm. for people that go, no, no, I had a perfect childhood. And then when you start to say... Okay, well, how were your parents interacting? It's, oh, well, they just never showed love. And it's like, okay, so you learned this somewhere. It's not like we're going off our rocker going, where did I learn this? That's kind of the beauty of doing all this work. And I'm sure you can like probably relate is that we start to feel, wait a minute, I'm not crazy. Oh, there actually is somewhere that this came from. I just have to acknowledge it. Yes. The acknowledging part I find is the hardest because I know even with my own siblings, I was the black sheep. I was the one that took mm. the therapy first. I was mm. the one that called all the skeletons out. My brother, to this day, he had an addiction problem. He still goes by. So what dad hit us? Come on. It toughened us up. Justification of what happened. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's okay. I honor where people are in their journey. But I think at the end of the day, I'm like, if you're still going to always come from that place of that angry teen or that angry child that's still pissed off at the world... You're only doing yourself a disservice because that kid doesn't know any better. But now as the adult, you do. Mm-hmm. And you can bestow a ton of fucking wisdom on that kid and just let that kid be heard so that you're not focused about Tom, Dick, and Harry who are avoidant and super fucking fuck boys that are clearly not giving you the energy. But when you choose yourself and you can show up in that way, it literally changes career, personal, professional, friends, everything. It's a, it's a, it's a life repositioning. So... Uh, yeah, you're right because it um, doesn't just show up in relationships, but if you choose to kind of um, take a butter knife to that, it's going to show up in how you work. It's going you might lose some friends. It's going to show up in family, uh, and that's actually one of the hardest things about growth is sometimes it can be really lonely because a lot of people um, they didn't sign up for this version of you, right? The 2.0. Uh, they liked you when you didn't have a voice. They liked you when you came to the 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 restaurant early and made or whatever did whatever you did. And now that you are growing and changing, now that you have non negotiables, now that you are speaking up for yourself, the dynamic of the relationship changes. And this happens in relationships, intimate relationships. And this is what happens when people kind of start to outgrow each other. Yeah. You know, when one person is on this journey and the other person's not, uh, then there's drift. I was actually going to ask you. I have a question. Because I know that especially when, pretty much any attachment style, but when you have a child, I've always been told how that can be such a mirror and reflection of like all the things that come up with us. Yeah. You had your daughter. Did you see, oh shit, okay, there's more work for me to be done? Because I would imagine she as a child would trigger you in different ways than a partner. Oh my God, there's so many. I mean, that that itself can be in a whole whole episode. (laughs) Uh, So I I had a child late. I never thought I was going to have a child, but then there was something in me that I've always known I was going to have a daughter. I didn't know when, and it never happened. And then I had a child at 47. So uh, when she's in high school, 
I'll be, I'll be, I'll have long white hair and I'll be, they're going to say, Hey, your grandpa's here. Um, but I will be on a Harley and probably wearing Vans. Yeah. But, um, yeah, because you just, you have a child who is, uh, it's basically a little mirror, yeah. you know, um, they're going to respond and react. I mean, well, they are a child, so they don't have tools yet. So there's a rawness to their reaction and it's going to activate, um, everything that because you were that way you know and then on top of that on the on the on a, a different topic but the same having a child changes the i hate to say this the child becomes a crowbar in the relationship in so many ways so for a woman i mean you just gave birth to a human so you are very disconnected with body you're touched out you're i mean going through hormonal changes um most men don't understand that because what we we're just we were just by your side right and so we're excited with this baby we want to connect um so intimacy sex love language like everything is going to change and if you are not willing to look at that investigate it um and leave room for it then you're going to think that someone they don't love you anymore or that you know the relationship is falling apart so yeah um we went through a lot of struggles and uh, we are still adjusting. I mean, at four now we're kind of, you know, um, finding our, our groove. But there was a, um, a a period where I felt like I needed more sex. I'm very predictable guy stuff. I needed more sex. I, you know, we're not we're not doing it enough. This, this, this. And um, once I got to see, uh, put the, 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 the selfishness kind of away, got to kind of be empathetic and see what she was experiencing i was like oh yeah i mean she's going to a huge <laughs> also we're not sleeping there's anxiety you know all this, and then you know breastfeeding there's so many things um and then i understood and so uh me taking a lot more cold showers and <laughs> <laughs> trying to help out around the house more and um not making it about my uh needs Totally. Yeah. Because I can imagine, I'm like, I look at even just having a kid and it's like, okay, I see what my parents, you know, we always look at like, well, what did our parents do? Okay, I'm not going to do that, right? Yeah. I don't want my kid to go through the same thing as I do. But then I look at even like my, my, I love my nephew, I love my siblings, oh God, I hope she doesn't hear this, but they're like, I love them, but I can see like my sister's trauma and her husband's trauma, mm -hmm. you can start to see that the kid's picking up on it and the kid's acting in ways and I can see how my sister will get... I can, I can literally visibly, and I'm like, oh, she wants to explode and she's trying really hard not to. And so I think even for her, she's like, wow, I'm now understanding so many things. And like, I think even having it by proxy, I, I don't have a child yet. If I ever will, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But even just watching her saying, okay, wow, I have so much more compassion for my parents. I have so much understanding for my parents. I'm not excusing the bad behavior. Especially because, like, you know, you don't need to hit a child. Like, there's no reason for yeah, like, yeah, abuse yeah. in the home, of course. verbal things like that. Like, that's just uncalled for. But I can still understand the things that my parents went through and how I perceived it. Like, you know, that egocentric age. Just how I looked at it as a kid going, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? There must be something wrong. But like mm -hmm. you said, it's because we didn't have the tools. And there was no one there to say, hey, dad's walking out not because of you, because he has his own issues. You didn't do anything here. And I want you to know that, like, you're safe here. Yeah. I never had that. Instead, I was left alone in a home at six going, cool, I'm never going to see my parents again and having that fear. Wow, yeah. Yeah, it was very deep. Like, as I started to really go back, especially because, like, you know, it, it could be so traumatic. We completely block it out. And it wasn't until I had to do ketamine treatments for me to be able to see that. Wait, when you were left alone at six, who watched you? No one? My mom thought, my dad, everybody thought the other person was home. So my dad would <laughs> yeah. storm out and then my yeah. mom would go out after yeah. him. And then my sister and brother, they were like, my brother was like 14. So he was out with his friends. Yeah, yeah. And my sister was with her, with my brother. And you're by yourself. So I just remember sitting home and going to that attic. That attic was where I'd always mm. go, six, seven, eight, like kind of that age. And just knowing in my head, I'm not safe. This isn't a safe space because yeah. I can't open my mouth. I can't even say to my dad, hey, I don't like what you said because he would hit us. He would take the belt or he would slap us. Yeah. So with knowing all of that, I created those coping mechanisms that became the challenges in my adulthood. If I had a child now, would I know what to do? Not a lick of a fuck. Now, I have no idea how I would make this kid feel secure, but I feel like at the very least I would have some tools. You, at the very least you would be there. Exactly. And also you wouldn't take your belt off. Would never. You know? And so, uh, you know, what's happening, which is interesting, is I think this is the generation, I'm older, but I would say millennial, they're the generation 
um, that are finally really changing how how uh, how kids are raised. I grew up in the eighties where kids were just left on the streets until the streetlights came on, and you know we're drinking out of hoses and jumping off things, and I mean, uh, really dangerous, unsupervised, yeah. left and right. And then, uh, but I I also feel like now the pendulum has swung so much the other way, where it's like. You know, if you if you yell at a kid once, you think you're gonna fuck him up for life. It's like, no, you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. I mean, like like you, we we were you know left alone at six and ran up into the attic by ourselves and stuff like that. Uh, you yelling at a kid once is not going to. So we're not like we're we're putting it under a black light now ourselves under a black light as far as parenting. And I think we need to now swing somewhere in the middle. Well, especially seeing just even in the world right now, everything happening. I'm like, I'm sorry. So because you feel something, I need to now validate that in the yeah. sense where so facts are wrong, but because you feel something, and so we went from a generation like our parents who was like fuck feelings, right? But you know, I, we're not talking about this. You keep quiet. Like yeah. my mom, she was like, I was raised. If your husband's unhappy, you're doing something wrong. Why aren't you making him happy? Right. Versus now, it's like, I'm so grateful that we have resources and we have ple- people like us that can help and talk. But now I'm starting to see where I'm like, okay, now we're just being too like, hey, are you in your emotions right now? Because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right, right. the kid could use a little bit of discipline. Sure, sure. Need to be so yes. wet, wet noodle. Yeah. But I, I would be interested. I don't know about like for you just in your studies and things like that of, of everything that you've experienced. To really, like, help a child feel secure, are there things that, like, need to be done? Or I, anything so I think the number one thing, and I just read this the other day on social media, I posted it, uh, reposted it, and it was that uh, if you want your kid to apologize, you need to apologize to your kid. Um, and that kind of reminds me that instead of putting so much effort on, how, you know, what your kid should be doing and dressing and eating and all that, um, set the example. Yeah. So if you want your kid to uh, have a better relationship with her, you start with you. And I think we're very fast to enroll them in all the classes, do all the, you know, just put all the effort and we lose sense of us. So we're not taking care of ourselves. And I think the first thing to do is first look at your life. Before you get to the kid, how are you doing? Are you happy? Are you living an honest life? You know, um, Kids are sponges, you know, and if you're in a relationship and there is, you know, people doing life around each other or at each other, not with each other, and they're walking on eggshells and they're together just because of the kids, the kids know, you know, I'm sure you knew at a young age that there was weirdness between uh, your mom and dad or fights or, you know. At eight, I wish they divorced. I remember just thinking like, why are they together? Like my dad's cheating on her. I knew. Yeah. As kids, we knew yeah. my dad was cheating. My mom had no idea. And we just, I sat there being like, is this all you deserve? But then going, okay, well, maybe that's it, you know? And like, I grew up having all these ailments, all these like sicknesses and mm-hmm. illnesses. There was nothing there. That was my way of getting attention. And like, mm-hmm. I learned very young. To, my mom told me when I was born, because my dad would always pass me off to her, I would cry so hard I'd throw up. And so the running joke was, all right, wow. now I can take the kid. And I was like, mom, what happened before that? She's like, well, your dad would leave. And I was like, I was so young, I even felt that anxiety and that I'm not sure, I'm not safe, this doesn't feel comfortable. It's incredible how much, like you said, the kids are sponges and they can pick up on that. Mm -hmm. And I think for anybody that's, even if you have kids or you don't, if you're struggling with an insecure attachment style, whether it's like severe avoidance where you can't even fucking handle a conversation without shutting down or severe anxiety that if you don't get a text within a second and a half, you're already like catastrophizing the entire thing. I think we have to like really peel back the layers and strip of like, where did you learn this from? Or where didn't you learn this behavior from? Like, what were your role models? What were you experiencing when you were a kid? And like, it's so funny. I had a client the other day and we were doing this and she's like, I don't understand. This isn't helping me. I can't change what happened. And I was like, okay, I totally understand that. I was like, but I don't think you're actually hearing what I'm actually trying to say. I was like, I never said that we're changing that. Mm -hmm. I was like, but what I'm saying is that you can give her permission to set a boundary because you were never allowed to. You'd get hit as a kid. And this is a practice. And then it hit her and she's like, oh, I understand. And I was like, we're not fixing what happened. They can't do that. The Mm. past has happened. But what I can do is honor the present and the future and let myself know we don't have to live there anymore. That was really powerful. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about when you realize that... uh, you have an anxious or avoiding. There's actually a lot of attachment styles. Those are those are kind of the common ones. Of course, secures where we're all swimming toward. Um, and you realize there's a trauma bond, or you you realize that you tend to uh, date the same guy. You hear that a lot, except just a face has changed, right? So, 
how do you sw- – I call it swimming past the breakers. How do you swim past the breakers? Because it doesn't necessarily mean to find someone that you logically think is healthy even though there's no attraction and you just hold on. hope You know, because like you have to be attracted to the person too, right? But how do you cross that bridge? How do you go from dating toxic – and jumping into roller coasters, that being the homeostasis, that's what you, um, that's what smells familiar and that's what you gravitate toward to now finding someone healthy because that transition actually is hard. No one talks about it because it's going to feel boring. You're going to be like, nah, I don't feel it. You're going to blame it on chemistry. Um, most people stop before the relationship actually starts to develop legs. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And then, then you're back to, you know, the the Pamela Anderson Tommy Lee thing. <laughs> you're back on the, the the ride. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm actually really glad you brought that up because it's so true. We are all so, talking so hard about like, okay, stop dating the bad people, but nobody's really talking about what happens to you when you find somebody that actually is really healthy for you. Yes. Now, I'll preface that. My partner still has incredible avoidant tendencies. Mm-hmm. Like he was super, super avoidant, had like a very you know traumatic childhood, but he's done you know studied psychology, he's done the, he's done therapy, he's back in it now. Like he's such an incredible human being. But when I met him, oh my god, I almost broke up with him almost every single day in the first two months because I kept trying to find every excuse. I hate his car. Mm-hmm. His clothes are too tight. <laughs> I, right. I, it, but what really what was happening was. I was so used to not getting, not receiving, and not, you know, every guy, especially in L.A., mm. between New York and L.A., coming to, like, fucking Peter Pan land of 45-year-old guys that are like, you know, babe, not ready for this. Wait, wait, let's, let's put a bookmark here because this is great. Um, I'm from L.A., she's from New York. Um, tell us, this is great. This is insight. What's the difference between men from New York, men from L.A.? You said Peter Pan. I, I get it. You mean that we don't, we're in La La Land, we're not growing up. More but so, what else? I would say this, the similarities are that both environments, New York and L.A., breed people that are there because they're after something very specific. Like if you're mm. in New York, you're hustling. Like you're, doing, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not in New York because you're just like, I'm just going to passively live here and just like go to work every day right. and kind of coast. It's like you're not going to make it there. It's too, well, it's too expensive. Too. It's too expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too exhausting. Right. It's like who what? Yeah. Nervous system. Who wants to go through that? Yeah. So I think the men in LA are very, or the men in New York are very driven. Driven. Very like career. Yeah. I think of Wall Street. I think of like you know just sharp shoes, up early, working out. You know, yeah. Yeah. Ten hour days. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, or you know, the dates at nine o'clock at night because you're like, God, this guy's working yeah. all day. Okay. Or like seven thousand things going right. on. So the men in New York were very, at least to, like in my experience, were very clear. Like even if there was, you know, oh, they're, they're honest. They were direct. It yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. Hey, I'm not interested in a relationship. Mm-hmm. This is all I can offer you. And you're like, okay, thanks. Like if you have a conversation with them, whereas the kind of similarities are like in New York, people say fuck you to your face. In LA, they say fuck you behind your back. Yes. <laughs> so then you come. Then I came to LA, and I'm thinking, oh my god, I, I remember I'm meeting all these great guys and being like, oh, dating all these great. It's because I was visiting. Mm. Then when it was starting, to you just saw the trailer, not the whole movie. <laughs> right? They wrote the check; they weren't ready to cash. There were no funds in the bank. Yeah, yeah. And so then when I came here, it really exemplified the like, I'll let you know, we'll see soon. And you're like, why don't you just tell me, hey, I'm not interested in going out with you again. It was great to have met you. Let's move on. Like there was mm. just no directness. There was like know? a lot of passive aggressive, not calling you back. Yeah, flaky. Both. I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Freaky. Or the, you know, like six days will go by and you're texting them like, hey, okay, you know, I had a great time. Like, I'm, I'm assuming we're not going to meet, it, you know, again, but it was great to have met you. And then them getting the attitude of like, wow, you ex- you want somebody every day. And I'm like, hey, I'm not, it's been a week. Like, fuck <laughs> off, dude. You know, don't <laughs> right. even come at me with this nonsense. Like, way to take no accountability. So I find that a lot of the men in LA were very... The Peter the, in their mid forties, going yeah, I just you know I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, I'm single. I'm hot. I'm just you know a business owner. Wait, why do you think that is? Why do you think men in LA? Is it because LA itself, uh, you know, being the capital of like entertainment and and a lot of lot of like um, prom queens and uh, and uh, and kings and popular kids coming here, thinking they could make it, and so you have a, just a lot of beautiful people who are who have been enabled like what do you think it is why are they like that i was gonna say in new york i'm not by any means being like fucking conceited yeah. i was like an eight or a nine in new york right i came to la and i was humbled the fuck down oh like, right six at best so hard like but you're just talking about aesthetics exactly okay, okay. Just purely yeah aesthetics. i'm sure. talking in that regard yeah. like there's a reason why like 
there's a lot of there's so many attractive human beings in LA that mm. are just kind of like wow are you real that if somebody hasn't done any inner work if somebody is still in that like I'm just kind of hanging out they're going to be going after what's shiny and what's new yeah. especially yeah. when you have people like me who are really direct really honest really upfront most of the guys would look at me and be like I don't even know what to do with this like I've never had a woman that's so blunt and upfront and just tells me like it is they're used to the like I'm going to play the game yeah I don't fuck with that. But I, I, I trust you more. I love people who are f- direct and blunt because to me that builds trust okay. as opposed to someone who isn't – like you don't know what they're thinking. I mean they're nice but are they – you know like w- what is it? And so they're, they're slippery. Yeah. So um, LA does have a lot of shine. Um, New York is more street. It's very dirty and it's like an, yeah. the obvious and the literal and the figurative. Yeah. And I think I – yeah, I struggled dating in New York, but I had serious relationships. I had multiple relationships. Yeah. In L.A., I didn't have one. Mm. I, I didn't get past the like first four, five, six dates without it, like you just said. I'm not feeling the chemistry. I'm not mm-hmm. feeling the spark. <laughs> and at the time, I think because I was unhealthy as well, going, oh, okay, you know, trying to understand and trying to you know make myself into being something that they wanted. And then realizing like when I met my partner... I kind of bring it back a little circle. When I first met him, I had no spark. There was the sex was great. I remember just thinking that, like, we were the traditional couple that I think most people can relate to. We went, we met on a nap. Mm-hmm. We went out. We hooked up on the first date, and I left going. I'm never going to see this guy again. Like, yeah. Just thinking, whatever. Kind of the average scenario. Right. And I think the biggest struggle I had was I was so used to that. I was so used to going. I'm never going to see them again. Or oh, I'm going to have to worry. Or are they going to text me and my validation? And my partner was very very stern with boundaries the first thing he said when i was like hey you know we've been dating for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. like we don't really text a lot and he was like let me just come in right now and say this is not a sign of my disinterest i work in tech i have zero desire to be on my phone i'd much rather spend time with you in person mm. if that works for you great if not i totally understand i'm not interested in a digital relationship i'll see you on thursday wow and i remember just being like whoa that was hot also terrifying because yeah. Being with somebody who knew their boundaries was very clear about that, but also super receptive when I would have a boundary and say, hey, I didn't appreciate that. He'd be like, oh, my God, talk to me. Well, it means that you can't hide. Completely. Yeah. There was no hiding behind the, but he's not doing this. Right. And then it started to, I started to realize, like, I, the biggest struggle I had going from something really unhealthy into something more healthy was not that it was boring. Yeah, it was boring. I know what you mean. Like, it was, there was no hot peaks and valleys. For me, it went completely against my core beliefs because I was always in the narrative of I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy and no man's ever going to love me and I'm never going to find this person, even though I wanted to in, on paper. Mm-hmm. Then receiving it, I was like, wait, I actually have to see myself in this light. I actually have to learn how to receive. Hey, you look really beautiful tonight and I can't wait to see. Like when he would just go out to dinner with me and say, I just I'm so crazy about you. I'm so into you and I can't wait to build a future with you. And I'd be like, what? the fuck is wrong with you? No, 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 no. I should be chasing you. Right. But without, but then I'm realizing like, oh, I remember one night sitting there, my nervous system was so dysregulated and I realized I was like, this is the first time I felt safe and I didn't even know what to do with that. Mm. I had no idea what that felt like because I was not used to that. Wait, so so that's really important. Um, You know, we're all obsessed with and trying to find safety and you, you know, hear all the, the you see all the memes, hear all the videos. That's what healthy stands on. But then when we find it, can we handle it? What's going to happen inside? Are you going to run? What does it look like to actually sit in it and everything that comes up for you if, you're, if that's not what you're used to because now you have to work through it just to even hang out at that party? Once yeah. you're there, you're like, you're the six-year-old that's at the adult table being like, I better fucking get my get mm-hmm. my groove and get my growth spurt. Yeah. Because I almost, I have the text. I showed it to him. Yeah. I was like, I almost broke up with you. And I'm like, I, I remember because I was dating two guys at the same time. Mm-hmm. Very normal. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this guy. And the other one was the exact, the super avoidant Trump. Poor, I mean, this poor guy. He, had, he was a, a beautiful human being, but so much trauma. Yeah. And I, of course, was like, I can fix him. You know, he was super sexy. Right, right. Just really a fucking babe. And I thought my partner was very attractive, but he just wasn't my type. This was my type. Yes. That wasn't. Yes. That adjustment was huge for me. Wait, so how did you you know what was good for you and then not go for what you were, what you were, what you thought was quote unquote was hot? So the hot one actually had a panic attack one day and he texted me and he's Mm. like, I'm freaking out. He's super avoidant. He's been single for like 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Obvious why. 
and he was just like couldn't handle it and i literally had the text ready to send to my current partner to end it to pursue this guy oh and so at first i was just going to end it with both of them right and my mom was in town and she's i had a date with both of those guys back to back and my mom met both of them and she sat me down after and i was like mom i think i'm going to text my you know ryan my partner and say at the time i don't want to do this and she was like sam if this means anything to you, she was like, I saw the way they both looked at you. And she was like, the one, he's a lovely guy. She was like, you could see he couldn't even make eye contact with you. He was just so lost. The avoidant, you're saying. Yeah. And she was like, and Ryan walked in, looking me straight in the eyes, mm. sat down with me, talked to me. And she's like, he is insane about you. And she was like, for the for the first time, can you just see this one out? She's like, I'm just asking, see it out for another couple of weeks. And I was like, all right, I'll try. And then once I, once I allowed myself, because this was the biggest thing, I was struggling with having these thoughts of this other guy while trying to pursue my partner oh, right. and feeling guilty. Comparing too, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, you're going back and forth yeah. like a tennis match. Yeah, yeah. Like, God. And for months, I was guilting myself until one day, I finally, like maybe after six months of us being together, I finally said, you know what? Instead of guilting myself for having these thoughts, I'm just going to allow them. And I allowed myself to just have the thoughts of, all right, I find the other guy attractive. I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah. I'm acknowledging it. Sure. I did that to the point where then after a while, I stopped thinking about the other guy. Yeah. I started focusing on my yeah. partner. I started allowing him in. Now we moved into our new home and like we're talking about the next steps of what we're going to do within the next year. How long have you guys been together? A year officially. Wow. So it's like... Still honeymoon. Still but honeymoon. No, but you know what? Moving in together is where the honeymoon ends. <laughs> now you see the dirty socks on the floor and the, the way that people, you know, handle life turbulence. But um, real quick about your mom... Uh, as much shit talking as we do uh, about our parents, they have wisdom. You're looking at tattoos, and she's looking at eyes. Exactly. You know, she. Our parents. Like I love my mom to the moon and back, and it's like, but sometimes it's true. They. She may not have seen it back in the day. It's like yeah. well, she's been through thirty. I'm thirty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Years since yeah, yeah. Of course. Of learning. Yeah. And I, I trust my mom to the moon and back. And that's why I was like, you know what? When she said it, I said, she's, that's the first time. She's the first to go get rid of him. You know, fuck a man and I move on. Yeah. And even us, like we come from different ethnics, you know, different ethnicities, different religions, different backgrounds. And I thought my parents were going to be vehemently against it. And it's like everybody loves him because they on, they see he might not have been what you wanted, but he's a thousand percent what you need. Mm -hmm. And being able to differentiate between the two. What did I want? Of course, we all want the like the Ryan, you know, Reynolds. Like, of course, we all want the smoking hot, tall, right. active, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, like, I also really want safety, security. I want to be with somebody that I can feel like I can say anything to. I can cry in front of. I can be in front of. I can be vulnerable. I can express myself. And the response is, thank you for sharing that. It makes me feel really connected to you. Not, here we go again, or walking out. And it's like, I think there was that was the compromise I had to make was seeing it out. Because I have a friend right now who's going through this. And she's dating a guy that's super healthy, really mm -hmm. into her. And she is fucking struggling. Every five seconds. No, I don't want to. I don't like him. I, this mm -hmm. is and it's like, I understand it, I see it, and it, I just keep reminding her, I'm like, just try to push through that discomfort, because sitting in that discomfort, exploring that discomfort, is how we grow our growth. Like you said, ice baths, the first time you went into an ice bath, you were probably terrified of what that experience was going to be, the cold plunge. Of course. Oh my God. And then you get in and you're like, this is it? Mm -hmm. I was scared of the feeling, but not the outcome. Right. And so that's kind of my whole thing, as I'm like, chase, explore the feelings that you're having, that you're scared of having. And then start to experience that in your body before making any decisions. Because if I had acted immediately on that impulse of, nah, this isn't what I want to feel, I was actually intellectualizing it and not actually feeling it. Yeah. And also, I want to say that you could turn a Ryan Seacrest into a Ryan Reynolds yeah. if the person has capacity and emotional intelligence and a lot of other things um, because they become attractive to you on a different level. Right. And then if you hit a spiritual level, then, you know. Game over. It's like. Yeah. Um, then it's Brad Pitt. <laughs> uh, exactly. And it's like, and that's 100% is like my partner has become more and more attractive to me. The more I feel safe, the more I feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's like even the first time, my, every relationship ended at nine months for me. This is the first time I've been past a year and I've not even looked at another guy. Like yeah. I'm just so focused on what I have because, no, it's not perfect, but goddamn, it makes me feel really fulfilled. And it allows me, we kind of laugh and say like, I'm the picture and he's the frame. So it's like I get to be the the fun, the color, and the life, but he keeps so much structure around me, and he keeps it that we are such a great balance. We've been living together now for three months because mm. we lived in a seven hundred square foot apartment. Mm -hmm. That that's a test. That was that's the test. test. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, we went through that. We went through mm -hmm. like major family stuff, major life experiences. Yeah. My dog passed away. His sister passed away. It was so much that happened, and we're still able to communicate and get it through. And I'm like this is worth more weight in gold than just having the hot guy, but having that safety and security. But for all the anxious attachers out there, 
please understand it takes time for this to happen yeah instead of chasing the feeling like i'm sure you deal with people like this too or like that come to you of the love bombing and the super all in all in all in all first and i'm like you're trying to replicate the feeling that happens after being with someone for a few years yeah and you're trying to get that in a week and that is where it's going to be a quick fizzle is a quick burn is a quick fade Mm -hmm. versus building and seeing progress and expressing yourself and setting boundaries and seeing that somebody respects them that is one way to move into a secure space yourself because i think for so long i saw it as i'm going to change a man and i'm going to make him all of these things without understanding my partner has changed not because i did anything to do that it's because i created a space for him to experience a new container for mm -hmm. himself to grow and expand and so have i i've grown in the year more than i ever have because he's given me the space to do that as opposed to trying to do anything to change me yeah yeah uh with vanessa and i one of the things that uh i've learned uh with love and relationships is not only to swim past the breakers because on the other side of the breakers there is calm um but to find beauty in the contrast yes. uh, i spent a lot of time uh chasing after uh, aesthetically beautiful women and um who were very similar to me and because they were similar to me i thought that was you know love and sustainability and blah blah, blah. um but there's no stretch there and so with vanessa um it's been a beautiful, uh, not easy, but a beautiful experience in finding beauty in differences. Uh, because with that comes acceptance and with that comes uh, your own stretch, you know. Uh, and by the way, um, I don't think Ryan Seacrest is not attractive. I'm not saying, I just, I just had to think of a quick Ryan and so I just went Seacrest, you know. Anyway, I wanted to, um, I, Sabrina, I could talk to you forever. I love your energy. And uh, we actually are because we're going to do another episode that's going to be on her podcast. But I want to end with this, uh, this story because um, she was talking about texting and, and um, I'm also anxious. And by the way, if you have an anxious attachment style, it doesn't mean there's, there's a spectrum, right? Right. So like I'm a lot less anxious. I'm sure you are, too, than when I was, you know, in my early 30s, 20s. I'm now 50 and um, I'm the least anxious, but I still that's my knee jerk. That's my go to. It always will be, but um, it doesn't cripple me. Totally. Right? Well, because like, I'm not, it's like, we're not anxious. We have anxiety. There was that self-identification right. for so long. And right. I'm 100% with you. It's like, it it wanes, but it'll never just go away. I kind of wish. Yes. I think it's just, I think it's ingrained, 100%. you know? Um, when you said uh, that you were struggling with, uh, at one point in your life, like looking for the person to text you back and you're waiting by your phone and it's on, it's next to you. Um, so I wanted to end with this story. So uh, I was in Idlewild. We have a little retreat house up there and I took a photo of a sunset. And then seconds later, Vanessa sent me a photo of a sunset at our home home. So this is, this is our vacation home and, oh and this is our home home. And I saw that and I felt this kind of spiritual connection to her. And there's just two photographs yeah. of, because I, I saw an instant montage of everything we've built to get here yeah. and the connection. And it felt like, and so I wrote this. I said, you know, I texted Vanessa a photo of our sunset house, a uh, sunset at our mountain house. And then second set, she texted back a photo of the sunset at our main house. And instantly I felt a strange spiritual connection, like if homes were identical twins and they sensed the joy or pain of the other even though they were 100 miles away, literally. And in that moment, I didn't just see matching sunsets, uh, sunsets, but a flash montage of our entire relationship from their first blind date to motorcycle rides to losing trust, building trust, to writing a book together, to having a child, buying our homes, running retreats, building a life together and away from each other, but both on... Oh, we were away from each other, but both on friend, date, friend dates because those are important when you're in a relationships. The ups and downs and the sideways, and in a strange way, I felt so close to her, like we've both gone somewhere and met back, like a nod from the universe validating our collision. It was a type of syncing up I've never experienced or maybe never had the radar to notice. An earned trust, a felt knowing. Can matching sunsets spell synchronicity and make you feel love and closeness even though you're apart? Behind the sunsets, there are stars, and if stars can predict who we are, the radiance of the sinking sun can be a felt period in a love story. Sometimes love means two people seeing something only they can see. So I, I wrote this, and I'm words of affirmation. She's not. She's acts of service. Um, and I'm, I don't think she commented, I, but I think she, I, th I think she liked I think she liked it. And I was talking to a friend yesterday. As, okay, no comments from Vanessa. 
I'm not putting her under the bus. She, Vanessa, I'm not putting you under the yeah, But I, I'm, I'm, I'm positive she liked it. Um, the old John. The fuck? I write this? Where's my validation? She didn't even comment. She didn't text me. I sat here and I was romantic, right? All this kind of blah, 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 blah uh, victim and also entitlement, right? Mm-hmm. Well, she didn't comment on that. But yesterday uh, in the afternoon, she wrote, out of nowhere, I just want to tell you how much I really, really appreciate you as a human. I love your mind, your heart, your soul. I was just thinking about how much I really value having you in my life. So for her to write that is like huge because she's not a words person at all, right? So it did come. It just didn't come in the way that I wanted. It doesn't mean that she loves me less. And so me letting go of my shoulds and what something should look like on my time. Why didn't they tell you know, like what it means because she didn't comment on like all of that, which I used to struggle with. And now the practice of I wrote this, don't expect anything. If she likes it, great. If she doesn't, it doesn't mean shit. Because you know what? Six hours later, she wrote me something really nice, you know? And so that was, and and I'm sharing this because look, listen, I'm 50, I'm still anxious. And even things like that, now, is that going to cripple me? Is there going to be fight? Of course not. And that's the difference, is me looking at it, not putting it on her, going through it myself, calming myself down, realizing the sky's not falling. She still loves me. It's still okay. And then, like me working through it, my own responsibility. You speed bumped. You speed I speed, bumped it. I, I speed bumped it. I slowed the car down, went over the speed bump. Yeah. Yeah, because like I have my partner did the same. Like I asked him one time something and he went, no. And I instantly went in my head of, what do you mean? He's not like me, da-da-da. And I didn't say anything. And a few minutes later, he was like, I'm sorry, babe. That was really harsh. I didn't mean to just say no. I yeah. meant, right, know, right, we'll right. And I was like, man, I'm so glad I gave space here. Because For that to come, come around. That's why I think with anxious attachers, everything is, let me do 80 to 90%, and all you have to do is show up for that 10. And it's like, but what you're actually doing is you're taking that away from the other person yeah. to show up in a way that feels authentic to them. Not to you, and also not on your time. Oh, the time. That's yes, big... not on your time. Well, I text him, why didn't he get back to me yeah, in yeah, three hours? Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know, life? <laughs> I, like, you <laughs> yeah. and I are here now, and I'm like, I can't text anyone for three hours. Right. That doesn't mean I right. care about them less. It just means that my priorities are shifted in this Yes, moment. yes. So I hope that people can understand that you, if you have anxious attachment style, you have two people here. Yeah, I'm still having anxiety, and so do you. But there is so many ways to work through it and so many tools mm-hmm. to learn to be able to grow a speed bump in the middle of the street so yeah. that it's not you against them. It's that you're co- coming closer and working together as opposed to against. And it's, I think that's a big, I hope, takeaway that people can have is like, you can heal through this shit. You'll never be 100% healed to stop listening to the clickbait of yeah. like how to do that. But you can absolutely have beautiful relationships. I have an avoidant partner. I'm more anxious. You've got your partner and you guys have figured it out. It can work if you work it. Yes, and I got to say, um, I also love the fact that this podcast is is specifically about anxious because I'm not trying to throw such a wide net where we're going to cover all these, you know. Yeah. Um, if you're not, if you don't have an anxious attachment style, what you can get out of this is understanding of other people who do. 100%. And then if you do have an anxious attachment style, then you know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so we're also doing something today, which I've never done. Uh, we are swapping space on podcasts so basically this is my interview with sabrina and um if you go to her podcast do the work you will hear my interview with her and it's going to be different so we're not doing a copy and paste we're going to continue with a whole different topic we're going to talk about infidelity and cheating um so i hope you listen to both episodes yeah thank you you. all right